I want to thank everyone for being here today. I'm Beth Offenbacker with Public Decisions, and I'm really delighted to have this opportunity to interview um, a dear colleague and friend who is also an author, a teacher, and uh, an Australian community engagement practitioner, and that is Vivian Twyford for our October Public Forum Book Talk. And I think you may know that these book talks feature practitioners and thinkers in the field of community engagement. So thank you for being here with us today, Vivian. Welcome. Well, then why don't we go ahead and get started with our, our uh, discussion with Vivian. And I'd like to have the honor of, of introducing her. Um, I think you may know Vivian is founder and partner at Twyford, a team of professionals in Australia and New Zealand that specializes in engaging people. In her work, Vivian has designed and implemented community consultation and participation programs around a variety of topics, some of them very sensitive and uh, very controversial over the last decade. She has worked with clients in the development of public participation policies and procedures and practices in the areas of sewerage, solid waste, urban planning, mining, and manufacturing facilities. Um, Vivian is past president of the International Association for Public Participation, or IEP2, as it's known. And she was the first president of IEP2's Australasia chapter, which covers Australia and New Zealand. She's also a talented instructor, and she has taught the IEP2 certificate course in Australia, New Zealand, and several other countries. Uh, for some time. Vivian, we are delighted to have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Beth. Um, well, let's let's start off a little bit talking about, I mean, I know we're here to, to talk about your book, but the definition of sustainable decision, I think that would be a really great place to start. So could you give us a, a brief description for what do you mean when you say a sustainable decision? Sure. Um, to me, a sustainable decision is one that that is, as it says, it, it can be sustained. That is, it's a decision that takes into it uh, the, a range of perspectives so that when the decision itself is made, it is full, the, the people who've made it are fully informed and the people with, that it's going to affect when it's implemented are also informed they may not 100% agree with it but they at least understand the decision its context and why it was made so that when it is implemented it first of all can be implemented there aren't a bunch of people who are objecting to its implementation but also when it's implemented the consequences of the decision are the ones that have been planned and we all know that decisions when implemented can have um, unintended consequences and that we try to think through those in making the decision so that the unintended or negative consequences are as limited as possible. So I guess uh, thinking about the variety of projects that, that you've been involved with over the years, Vivian, do you find that the organizations that you've been working with, the idea of you know, a decision where people are informed that, it, that, that it's understandable, implementable, as you talk about in the book, is that something that's mm -hmm. natural to a lot of organizations, or do you have to really put all those pieces together for them to see kind of how these, these elements relate to sustainability? It, 
It's a very different experience working for a client who does get it um, and a client who just wants to do traditional um, community information, if you like, with perhaps a little bit of consultation. When, when a client does get it and they actually see that they would get something out of engaging with the community and it's not just a compliance activity that they're doing, then the whole spirit of the engagement process is qualitatively different. And the challenge, I think, for um, practitioners today is to work with their clients to try and help them with that transformation from a compliance culture to one where the benefits of community engagement are, are, are the light on the hill, if you like, and that the practice of community engagement is aimed at gaining that light on the hill, gaining that um, really sustainable decision because people understand it. I think there's, in my, and, and I smile a little bit this morning because I think um, for, all, for all of us, that while we know many of these things rationally, that is, we know this is a good thing and when we've seen it happen, it's very exciting, it's so easy for even people who understand this to fall back into what I consider to be the expert model. That is, you know, we know, we have thought about this a lot, we're very qualified to um, understand the complexity of this, how could we really expect other people to understand that, um, all the things that we know. So why, what would the benefits of engaging them be? And it's far too um, time-consuming and costly, and therefore let's just make the decision. Mm -hmm. um, it, 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 somehow or other, there's something very human about that way of thinking. Um, and it's, we all have a tendency to fall into it, even organizations that believe that, that they represent the, uh, the whole values of public participation. So I, I guess that makes me think about um, one of the, the – I love the charts you have in the book. They're just a great melange of things that really make you stop and think. And at, on page 12, you have this wonderful chart there that shows some of the assumptions that the decision-maker makes about the community and mm -hmm. the community makes about the decision-maker. Could you talk a little bit about that and, and maybe some of the other obstacles? I mean, you've just mentioned that kind of this expert mentality is perhaps one of them, but are there some other barriers that we need to work with in order to um, kind of make these connections between the process sure. and the sustainable outcomes? I, I too, love that, um, that little diagram on, on page 12. It's one that my colleague, Max Hardy, um, actually first drew up. Uh, Max is, is someone who's passionate about deliberative engagement methods and really enjoys creating the environment in which people can genuinely cross that dialogue barrier and, and share information and share um, experiences. But when I show this slide in almost any training that I do, um, it always brings a smile and a sort of a wry smile because so often it is a reflection of what we see. Um, decision makers taking that sort of um, expert model um, and we, we had an example of it, a horrible example of it here in Australia. Just very recently my colleague Stuart Waters um, drew it to our attention and he's working in a, a local government area 
um, on a, a community engagement project around water. And uh, one of the, the, the local council councillors, one of our elected representatives, actually came out and said um, that the broader community is essentially a bunch of morons and they really don't care. Mm. Now, if, that, if, if somebody can actually say that, I'm sure it's probably taken out of context. I'm sure it, doesn't sound, it wasn't really said in as boldly as that. But um, it is still a reflection of the way that we can all jump into that role of the expert and think that other people just don't care enough for us to bother with them and then we wonder why they are a little cynical about us and our community engagement processes. But to me, the, the, yes, it's a mindset. I think the mindsets are often the biggest obstacle. Um, and then the second one for me is that we don't spend time as we try to teach people in the first um, module of, the, of, of IP2's training program how important it is to be clear about the decision that you're asking people to get engaged in. Um, and that is quite hard. I honestly believe it's the hardest thing that we do in a community engagement process is getting our heads around what really can people affect, what is negotiable and what is a given that is not that the decision makers are not are, are immovable about um, and getting that clear up front and having that stay that way all the way through the engagement process I find is probably one of the biggest challenges we've mm. had so many situations where the client at the beginning of the process is very firm that this is a given and it's not up for negotiation but let the right pressure be put on, let the right people who know the buttons to push start pushing them, and sometimes one finds that that given is not so given at all, and that makes the rest of the community engagement process that much harder because people have lost trust. So I guess in thinking about that and kind of getting over some of those bedrock assumptions that um, the decision maker or the community has, I, I think about this idea of who is the community. I mean, it, it, mm -hmm. it seems like so often it's a thus, us versus them type of scenario, right? Um, I, th I think one of the reasons for that, Beth, Go ahead. Um, as, as, I, as I work in this area, is the, the image that the word community seems to create in different people's minds. Um, and all too often it seems to me that people that the image that is created for um, the commissioners of a community engagement program is sort of an amorphous mass of faceless individuals. They're not even people when they start thinking about the community. Um, and until we break that word down into, and, and the public is the same, whether you're using the word public or using the word community, or even citizens as a, as a sort of broad group, until we break it down into individuals and, and people, then we, we actually treat the community differently because it, it has no meaning. It's, it's a bunch of others rather than people like us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, one of the things, talking about another great diagram in the book, the Jahari window, I mean, uh -huh. really placing value around what those others in the community or whatever, you know, however you, you label them, if you will, but mm -hmm. acknowledging the benefits that other people and knowledge that other people can bring to 
solving a problem or addressing a situation. Sure. Is so what key. page is the Jahari window on? I didn't bring my... 62. Uh, okay, thank you. 62. Thank you. So well, 61 and 62. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> <laughs> so Vivian, how do you introduce the idea of the Johari window when you work with organizations? Could you give us an example? I actually more frequently than, than putting up the Johari window at the beginning, I like to tell stories first about about how important it is to understand different perspectives. There's that lovely story, um, again, I think it's a Max story that is in the book, I think it's on page 103, which is about um, the cavalry officer and the, and the, um, the, the American Indian. And uh, the, the cavalry general wanted to demonstrate his intellectual superiority and he drew a circle in the dust and said that um, the chief only knew this much and then he drew a big circle around it and said that he, the general, knew even more. Um, and he said that the chief should show him respect because the chief knew less than he did. And the chief thought about this very slowly and carefully and then got up with a stick and drew a huge great circle around um, the whole campsite and said that this represented all the things that neither of them knew and they should both show respect. Wow. And to me, that it, it, that's the story. It's about we all know lots of things, things we don't know and the thing I learned a long time ago that I keep seeing evidence of is that we don't know what we don't know and if you don't know what you don't know then you don't know whether it's valuable or not so it isn't until you start to find out things that you didn't know and that are useful that you start to see the benefits of engaging with others who know things that you don't well, and that's a, a great um, segue to another question I had uh, where you talk about the circle of influence and the circle of concern. And, mm -hmm. and, and you say that an engagement process can really only address one of those circles. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Because, you know, the, the circle of, of concern that whether you're the Indian chief or the cavalry officer is, is pretty big. Yes, and I think what what happens often if we if we if if we do a community engagement process well, we we are clear about our uh, the decision that's going to be made that may influence people. We know whether it's a really very small part of a bigger decision or whether it is really the big decision itself that the community can can um, participate in and provide useful input to. But when we start talking about a decision, and let's say it's, um, I don't know, maybe it's a road decision, and we're actually talking about um, a bypass around a town or um, a new road that um, the, all the traffic evidence would lead us to believe ought to be created. And as soon as the Roads and Traffic Authority, whoever they may be in whatever city or, or place they may be in, start talking about roads, um, there will often be a whole bunch of people who will say, ah, this is the road, this is the, the people who build roads. Now, my road um, has a great big um, bend in it, and I, you know, with, with a lot of accidents there, why don't you come and talk about our road as well as the road you want to talk about? And there will be lots of issues that bubble up as soon as roads and traffic is mentioned. And I think what is important is that any community engagement process doesn't ignore people who say, what about mine, or I'd like to talk about this issue, and say, look, 
that's obviously an, an issue of great importance to you. However, this project is focused here. This is what I can, I can take information about in order that it be useful. The kind of information that you would like me to take in from you is not something I can use. So thank you for it, and I suggest that you take it here or here or here, um, because those people are one the people that you know may at some stage be talking about that or maybe thinking about that now, so that we don't muddy the waters um, about what we are here to talk about. We don't get diverted. We don't follow um, red herrings. We keep very focused on the decision that is going to be made at some time in the future, and that the people in the room or um, who, who, are, who may be engaged, interested in the outcome of this decision know that we're staying focused on that. Well, and, and last question before we open it up to, to others with, with comments and, and questions that they may have. Um, so, okay, so we stay very focused on what the organization is looking to address through that particular process. Um, one thing that I guess I'm, I'm thinking about is the the, the information that's gathered, whether it's about those other issues that are out in the larger sphere of concern or, or things that are related to that particular decision, it seems that organizations have a challenge with um, deciding how to use that data once that process has concluded. And generally, I think there's that challenge with qualitative data. You know, People come to the community meeting and share comments about whatever their issues are or you know, the particular concerns, whatever it might be. How do you see organizations dealing with that today? To me, this is, despite huge advances in community engagement practice over the last 10 or 15 years, this is, to me, the area that is still least well done. Um, um, I'm, I'm fairly passionate about this and the fact that we ought to be doing it better and I'm starting to, to try and see the reasons why perhaps it doesn't get done better and perhaps pull together some thoughts about how it might be done better. But if you have a quick look on page 27 um, in, in, in the book, um, this is the little model that I use in my head um, and possibly draw it up and use it with clients too about what we're actually doing when we're collecting data and then wanting to use it in some way. Because data in itself, the, the survey forms or the comments or whatever it is that we have gathered, you know, are pretty useless unless we do something with them. And we need to put them into context, summarize them, and create information out of them. And that information needs to be provided to the decision makers in a way that is useful to them, that they actually want to get it and want to process it to increase their knowledge and make their decision making better. And unless this process is actually constructed in such a way that it can work, I think the danger is, and I've seen too many situations where this is what's happened. We, we do gather input from communities. We, we actually may do that very well, but that information doesn't, in fact, affect decision-making because we don't, we don't do anything with it once it's been gathered. We don't make sure that it gets to the, um, the decision-makers. And, and more importantly, perhaps, we don't 
go to the decision makers right at the beginning before we start gathering data and say to them, what would you like to get? What information mm. would help to increase your knowledge to make your decision making better? What can we gather from the community? What, in what way can the community help you? And if we've thought about that beforehand and we've encouraged our decision makers, whoever they may be, to think about what it might be that they don't know, and we may help we have to help them to work out what it is that they don't know they don't know. Um, and that way start opening their minds to, some, to the fact that the community, their community, the community of interest around whatever project it is, could have some knowledge that would be useful in the decision-making for this project. And if we can get some thinking by the decision-makers about what would be useful, then we know we can go and gather data that we can use to create information that we can feed into the, the board, the decision-makers, the project team, whoever, and they will be looking for it. And when the, we bring it to them, they will, they will know that it's coming and they will actually want it and they will then use it. If we give them information that they haven't even thought about, that they don't know that they don't know, they may never read it, they may never look at it, and that means that we have done the community out of their power of influence um, that we have in fact promised them if we are saying that we're working at a particular level on the spectrum. Mm. Well, fantastic observation. It's, I mean, it's very key certainly to engage internal stakeholders as well as external. Mm -hmm. um, I guess as we wrap up, I do have one final question for Vivian. Vivian, could you talk about any upcoming presentations you have or trainings or resources that you could suggest to folks? Um, one of the things, well, we're always um, buzzing around um, using our practice to see where there might be holes in um, and needs that clients may have that we could fill with um, different ideas. One of them I'm pursuing at the moment is this whole data gathering, um, but it's such a big one that I'm not quite sure how I'm going to address it, but I, it's an area that my thoughts are going to. Another one that I did a presentation on last year that um, I'm, I think has relevance for the practice is um, organizational culture. And um, because we're in a global financial crisis, even organizations that perhaps have become more transparent and culturally sensitive to, um, to the idea of engaging internally as well as externally and the, in the idea of engaging at all, suddenly revert to the sort of command and control model of management and start reverting to being experts and, and not being willing to engage simply because of the pressures that are being placed upon them by external issues. So this internal culture of organizations and how it affects people's either willingness or attitude to external engagement is of great interest and we're thinking about that in a masterclass that we've been developing and we've been running in Australia. So that's another area of interest. But actual trainings that we're um, delivering at the moment, we've got a small a half day one which we call Facing the Music, which is for people and we've just delivered it to our Murray Darling base to some people in the Murray Darling Basin, but we've also delivered it to our rural fire service people who've had to deal with the aftermath of the terrible fires in Victoria last year in Australia. And it's how do you work with a group of highly emotional people? What tips can you 
can we help people to think about so that they protect themselves in this emotional environment but also are sensitive to the emotions and needs of others. So we found that half a day is probably all that people can can get away to, to learn from. So we've tried to bring it together in a fairly in a role modeling of perhaps how you can work with, with people in those situations. Um, we also do a survival skills for experts which tries to deal with or help um, engineers and other scientific and technical people to talk to communities in a way that doesn't set up the dynamic of us and you. Um, so yes, a few things that we are thinking through and may turn into small um, e-books or just be available for people who need that kind of information under those under particular circumstances. Well, I want to thank you, Vivian, for taking the time to talk with us today. This has been really fascinating and a really very rich, wonderful discussion. Um, we'll well, be I've learned a lot from it too. So um, I think any time you, you do start to talk about these things that are so important to the work we do, you learn something from everybody in the room or in, on the line. It's so true. Well, this call, as I mentioned, is being recorded. We're going to have it posted on our website and in iTunes, and we'll let everyone know once that's available. Thank you for joining us for this Public Forum Book Talk. We invite you to join us for future interviews with leading thinkers and practitioners in the field of stakeholder engagement. Visit our website at publicdecisions.com for a complete schedule and to register for upcoming events. For Public Decisions, I'm Beth Offenbacher.